This is all that remains of a Mughal who could have been a great emperor. Darashikul, the favorite son of Shah Jahan and the much-loved prince of Shah Jahanabad, built this library in 1637 near Kashmiri Gate. It is said that after the bloody war of succession, fought even as Shah Jahan was alive, the people of the capital rooted for Darashikul and never forgave Aurangzeb for how he treated his father and brother. Author and historian Swapna Dil, who has done extensive work on the history of Shah Jahanabad, tells us what happened to the capital after Shah Jahan was sent on exile to Agra. Aurangzeb succeeded Shah Jahan in Shah Jahanabad uh, in, under difficult circumstances. Uh, the a war of succession had broken out uh, while Shah Jahan was still alive. And um, uh, we all know the story, Shah Jahan was exiled to uh, Agra and uh, Aurangzeb soon overcame his brothers and made short work of them. Uh, actually, Dara Shuko, his older brother, who had also been a sort of almost, had already been designated an heir by Shah Jahan, uh, was very popular in Delhi. And as a result, Aurangzeb was less than well liked. And he knew that. You can see how that pans out because first of all, his first coronation does not take place within the walls of the of Shah Jahanabad or even the Red Fort, but outside in Shalimar Bagh. That's where he's first crowned. Then a year later, he does have a coronation ceremony in the fort itself. But he also decides to barricade himself in to an extent. So originally, the tall gate of the fort, which used to face the main street, um, that is surrounded by a barbican, which he puts up in front, uh, which obscures that gate. And uh, for, for us uh, today, of course, it, it's an aesthetic problem because we don't see the grand gate that uh, Shah Jahan intended us to see. And Shah Jahan was aware of that because when he heard in his exile in Agra that this had happened, he wrote to Aurangzeb and complained that he had treated his fort like a bride and put a veil in front of her face and he didn't like that. Aurangzeb soon left for the Deccan and he was to spend the rest of his life there, not really come back to Shah Jahanabad much. So, to that extent, Shah Jahanabad ceased to be the centre of power uh, in terms of the residence of the emperor. However, there were important members of the royal family who continued to stay there. Jahanara, for instance, came back from once uh, Shah Jahan died, she had accompanied Shah Jahan into exile. But when he died, she came back to Delhi and uh, she, her sister Roshanara, these, these were ladies who played an important cultural role in the city also because they were patrons of art and, uh, and they were rich women. So, that cultural vibrancy continued and Delhi, even before the setting up of Shah Jahanabad, had, had been a trading centre, an important trading centre anyway, and that trading role still continued. So you still have your JN merchants, you still have uh, all the poetry and the talent that is there is still being patronised. And then we come, after the death of Aurangzeb, it becomes again a capital in a real sense in which the Mughal emperor comes back to there's Bahadur Shah and then Farooq Seer and so on. And they, Bahadur Shah, of course, did not spend very much time in uh, Delhi as an emperor. But after that, you have other rulers who are living in Delhi. But the empire is uh, sort of, in some senses, being 
uh, well on its way to decline because there is civil war, there is all sorts of infighting among various factions and court and uh, weak rulers, inefficient rulers. So that decline is happening. Then that is compounded further by the invasions and attacks from outside. You have Nadir Shah's attack in 1739 and then Ahmad Shah Abdali later. And that kind of, uh, it takes its toll on the city. But it's remarkable that despite all that, you have uh, a vibrant culture. In fact, Urdu poetry, for instance, really takes off in the 18th century. Just And some of the best poetry is written in this context of invasions. Some of the best poetry comes out of that. Many of the landmarks of Shah Jahanabad are associated with these events that are taking place in the 17th century, 18th century and onwards. So you have the Kotwali Chowk. We were talking about the Kotwali Chowk. Kotwali Chowk gets its name from the Kotwali, the police headquarters. And that is the place where punishments are meted out also. So you have the execution of Guru Tegh Bahadur in 1675 under orders of Aurangzeb, which happens there. And incidentally, that's the reason why later a shrine was built to the uh, to the Guru over there, and which is today the Gurudwara Siskanj. And uh, we also have, at a later date, uh, Banda Bahadur in the early uh, 18th century. You have um, his uh, followers being brought there and executed in large numbers. Then finally, in 1857, you have the revolt which breaks out and when that is suppressed and the British East India Company comes back in full force and takes a huge revenge on the people, there are these um, sort of, uh, you know, stages that are put up where people are hanged. So these gallows are set up um, in front of the Kotwali and you have another round of, uh, you know, execution. So it, there is a lot of violence uh, built in here. You must also remember that this is where the Kotwali Chowk, right next to the Kotwali Chowk, is the Suneheri Masjid. And this is where in 1739, Nadir Shah sat on the steps and oversaw the massacre of uh, citizens. And some, it said some 20,000 people were massacred. Nadir Shah invaded India. His invasion began from the Punjab, etc. in 1738. He made his leisurely way across, slowly conquering parts of Punjab and approaching Delhi. And it just says how poorly organized the Mughal Empire was at that time, that they did not adequately respond to it until March 39, when the Imperial Army meets Nadir Shah's army in Karnal and the Mughals are defeated. So the fighting is not happening in Delhi. But later then, Nadir Shah demands that he will come to Delhi and he will be formally crowned as the uh, emperor, as having taken over the empire. And of course, will be given a you know, tribute and all that. That ritual of conquest has to take place. And they come to Delhi. The Mughal emperor comes first and he makes a way for the, uh, for the conqueror to come. And everything is going, you know, he, he's not putting up any resistance. He's already been defeated. So he's welcoming him into the red fort, offering him his crown. And um, Nadir Shah very generously returns the crown and says, no, you be, you be <laughs> I'm going back as long as you give me your tribute. And all this is happening while outside, 
some of Nadir Shah's soldiers, they are off duty now. They, the battle has been won and they are off duty and they are wandering around the streets of Delhi. And they must have been looking at this wonderful city that they've heard so much about and they are shopping or whatever they're doing. And some people of Delhi uh, who are wandering around, they start this rumour that actually Nadir Shah inside the Red Fort has been killed. And you must remember that this is March and Holi is just around the corner. So people say people are intoxicated as well. So the Delhi people were always very, uh, there was this whole, uh, certainly a crowd which was quite volatile and uh, tending to these mob, uh, mob violence from time to time. And they go and they uh, start to attack some of these soldiers who are casually wandering around and some of those soldiers are killed. They are off duty, off guard. And when Nadir Shah hears of this, he decides, okay, now my army is stationed right outside. I'm going to call them in and I'm going to take account for all these killings. So he identifies very systematically the neighborhoods in which these killings had taken place and he orders a massacre of the men. And that happens and then uh, the emperor at the time, Muhammad Shah, the Mughal emperor, he comes and sort of literally uh, sends people to beg of this man to call it off. And they do. And then he extracts a further round of uh, ransoms and uh, tributes and then he leaves. Once you have Muhammad Shah's reign with the attack of, uh, of uh, Nadir Shah, Ahmad Shah Abdali also attacked in the 50s and 60s. There are several attacks in this area. Uh, then the Marathas actually gain control of large parts of North India, particularly Sindhya and Delhi as well. So they become the actual de facto rulers of Delhi and they prop up the Mughal emperor as a puppet. And that changes in 1803 because the Marathas themselves in North India are defeated by the East India Company, which has been slowly making its way up from Bengal and uh, conquering large parts of the Doab and they come to Delhi. And 1803, there is this battle which is known as the Battle of Patpadganj and uh, they conquered Delhi and over the next uh, half a century from 1803 to 1857 you have this uneasy situation where the East India Company is the actual ruler but the Mughal Emperor is still kind of a symbolic figurehead kind of person puppet and then becoming even less relevant than a puppet slowly his uh, position is declining and the, he's sitting in the red fort and uh, you have the last Mughal emperor who comes to the throne in 1837 uh, really epitomizes that decline because he is completely irrelevant politically but as far as cultural uh, influence goes, he is a huge cultural figure. And uh, ironically, to quite an extent that cultural ethos, the poetry, you ha this is the era of some of the greatest poets, uh, Ghalib and Momin, Bahadur Shah Zafar himself is a poet. So uh, all that also continues and whereas at the same time you have the uh, British uh, establishing their institutions, running the administration of the city.